Hi, I'm Tej Singh, and welcome to Office Hours with Dormroom Fund, where we interview some of the most successful people in startups, technology, and corporate America. Dormroom Fund is a student-run venture capital firm backed by First Run Capital. We write seed checks of $20,000 into startups founded by fellow students. Since our founding in 2014, we've funded over 275 startups, which are now collectively worth over a billion dollars and have gone on to raise over $500 million in follow-on funding from Sequoia, Andreessen Horowitz, Excel, and others. To pitch us, go to dormroomfund.com. Enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Tej Singh. I'm Jessica Liao. And today we're interviewing Matt Meeker, the founder and CEO of Barfox. Thanks so much for taking the time. You bet. Thanks for having me on. So tell us about your childhood. Where did you grow up? <laughs> I I grew up in Iowa, in small town Iowa, a um, long time ago. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's pretty uninteresting <laughs> from you, that point of view. Did you have any siblings? No, no, just me. Did you grow up on a farm? I didn't grow up on a farm. My my grandparents are farmers, but I grew up in a in a town, in a small town. Yeah. What'd your parents do? Uh, my dad was a CFO. My mom kind of moved around from job to job a little bit, but yeah, I get, I got the financial side of the brain from my dad. I'd say. Are there any funny stories your family likes to tell about you from when you were younger? <laughs> I'm not sure they would find them funny. <laughs> uh, it was a bit more of on the troublemaker side so give a few stories you have to <laughs> on the troublemaker side yeah <clears throat> uh probably the the most uh, well i don't i don't know what you would call it the the most infamous story would be uh i i played clarinet in the band for a while in middle school that kind of stuff and didn't really enjoy it i was pretty terrible at the clarinet and then at some point i gave that up and I saw in, in the paper that someone was trading four tickets to a Rolling Stones concert for a used clarinet, oh, which I happen to have in my in my closet. So that was nice. And I made the call, arranged the trade, and then I got cold feet and I didn't send it. They also didn't send the tickets. Uh, but what I didn't know was behind the scenes, there was a, a little girl whose dream was to play the clarinet and was somehow a disabled girl. And so... He, this gentleman called the statewide newspaper to, to like get a story done about what a great person I was. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't mention that my dad was the CFO of the newspaper company oh, and, wow. and working oh, in the building. What and a so, story. <laughs> so the reporter made their way down to his office to ask questions about this. And he's like, I don't know anything about this. What are you talking about? So that was a quote that made it into the story. He was pretty embarrassed. So you were battling off investigative journalists since a young age. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I've gotten much better with journalists over time. <laughs> and you're here now. <laughs> I am. Yeah. Did you grow up with a dog? I did. I grew up with several dogs, uh, including a Great Dane. So I'd always wanted another one. Um, the first dog was a dog named Albert, mm -hmm. who uh, wasn't really our dog. Um he belonged to another family and he just sort of roamed around town and but almost daily seemed to roam over to our house and just take up residence meant there. to be yeah so at some point that family said he seems to like it with you guys why don't you just keep him so we did <laughs> that's amazing what about uh what do you think your life would be like when you're going to be older <laughs> uh, 
very different for sure. Um, I wasn't an eight year old thinking someday I'll start a company for dogs. Uh, so it seemed, it seemed pretty set. It seemed, uh, I was on a trajectory to follow the footsteps of my dad and grandparents and, um, go to the university of Iowa, probably study accounting, probably be an accountant in a small town in Iowa and have a pretty simple life. Um, relatively simple to compared to this. And, it took my mom, uh, who's a little bit of a different soul, to shake me out of that and open my, make me open my eyes and look around the world a bit. Um, she pushed me down a path to a different school, not, not having a preference, just the preference of open your eyes and take a look around the world a little bit. Yeah. Um, so put me in some situations where I did that and uh, changed the course of where I was likely going. What are some of your best memories from middle school and high school? And tell us about what you did with the friends, how you hung out. <laughs> um, middle school, high school, I'd say it was pretty normal. I wasn't a great student. I wasn't a poor student. I was just the one who didn't work very hard. And I went to class and I did the things and got the three, two, and that's about it. Um, and hung out with a small group of friends that we were all pretty close and most of my time when I was growing up, uh, oddly, I, I spent playing competitive racquetball. Uh, so I was traveling around the country, playing tournaments pretty much every week and squeezing school in in between there and then having some friends, um, probably getting into mischief. And looking back growing up, who would you say had the biggest influence in your life? And I guess, what did that person teach you? <laughs> what the biggest... Biggest influence growing up. Um, growing up is probably uh, the, the cliche answer of my parents. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's, and they're, they're very, very different people. Um, my dad is more um, demanding. He's financial oriented. He's, uh, I'll say demanding again. So everything is about like doing a job fully, perfection, um, doing it as if someone might see it, but even if they don't, that it should be, it should be done very well. Um, expecting a lot, expecting to work hard. Um, he's someone who, uh, went to, went to college, um, got married, had a kid, um, and worked a full-time job all through college and had a 4.0 and a double major. Wow. And he's like, I don't know why everybody else can't do that. So it, those are the types of lessons he preaches and that there's a path that you should walk down and it's, you don't want to divert from that path. On the other side, I, my mom is more of that rebellious soul. So one of the ways she opened my eyes to the world was w waking me up early one morning, putting me in a car, saying we're going to breakfast, driving an hour and a half to a college campus and then parking in an underground parking garage. And she woke me up. She said, we're here. And I got, got out of the car and she locks the doors, cracks the window and said, I'll be back at five and it's 8am and she just drives off. And I find myself like what I found was the university of Minnesota campus where I'd never been with nine hours to kill. And so I went, walked around, I saw things, I talked to people, I got to know it. And she asked me, did you learn anything today? And, and I said, this place is amazing. I want to go to school here. This is great. And she said, 
you may want to go to school here, but the thing that you should learn is you should actually explore the world and open your eyes and not just go down the path that's set for you. And so very, very different people, but I think I've pulled from both of them. Wow, that's an amazing life lesson. <laughs> yeah. And I guess so your mom was exposing you to all of these different areas and exploring the world. What was the time that maybe you had a failure and you learned from it? Had a what? I'm sorry. A failure. Oh, uh, many. Uh, probably the biggest failure or not the biggest, but like one that was more impactful was um, around 2000 started a, a company like many people did at that mm -hmm. time. Uh, and had three co-founders and it jumped into it. We were, I think, both fortunate and a bit cursed by having access to too much capital and too many um, powerful people. And yeah. what that led to was hiring a group of people who um, I often say if we had a billion dollar company, they would have turned it into a $10 billion company really easily. But we were zero and they couldn't go from zero to one. The zero to one journey, if if you said to them, um, go outside and sell a hot dog, that would lead to a week full of meetings in a room like this with PowerPoints pulled together and looking at the cost structure of a hot dog and marketing strategies for how do you talk to people. Just no ability to walk out and try it a few times. Yeah. Um, so we, we didn't do well. We never launched a product. Um, we spent tens of millions of dollars, didn't get out the door. What was the company? uh it's it's you never heard of it so what do you make or uh, the intention to make so what we made was this was pre-smartphone um uh, pre really text messaging existing in the u.s in any sort of meaningful way and what we had created was in the form factor of a credit card the thickness and all was built into that a uh, uh, lcd window and the ability to send messages between cards um uh, text messages between them using definitely the early for its time very early <laughs> should have been uh, in the jetsons <laughs> uh, and we were just tapping into the existing paging network wow uh, pre-packaged messages so you could text via your credit cards and also transact had bluetooth built into it so you could accept offers in stores uh the good. company's name was not blackberry right was it no 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 in fact it's a funny story one of the one of the people i started it with she went to a conference in Vegas, early 2000, and sent us an email back. And she said, I just saw the most amazing thing. It's called a, quote, Blackberry. Um, so, like, two <laughs> wow. words. It was really funny. Yeah, the fruit, I guess. Yeah, I never thought about it that, now that you said the word slowly, that apple's also the name of fruit. It's weird. <laughs> oh, how yeah. 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 That's amazing that even after that, you were excited to jump again in the entrepreneurial journey. Uh, it's... I wouldn't say I was excited. Um, it's funny because I don't feel like I've ever been excited to That's very um, interesting. <laughs> be an entrepreneur or yeah. start something. Uh, sort of rolled off of that. And certainly with Meetup at that time, that, that was the next thing that happened. Mm -hmm. And definitely with this company, with Bark, um, it wasn't something like I was searching for, uh, I've got to start something this was much more like something happened and it was up and running and then it was going really well and it just grabs a hold of you. And I really resisted it. I loved, I loved my job and I did not want to leave. And 
I would I went into this one kicking and screaming, but I'm glad I did. So tell us about the founding story of Bark. So the, so that's part of it. So the, there are two sides to it. There for me, there's one side that is Hugo, my dog. Um, he came into my life, and I was trying to make him happy, and being very um, just being disappointed by the options to do that in New York City pet stores. They cater to small dogs. He's a 130-pound Great Dane. Can confirm this. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you get a dog for the first time at that particular point in your life? Um, I'd, I'd always wanted a Great Dane again uh, for a long, long time. And it was just the right moment. Um, I just moved into a new home, um, felt very stable in a, a venture capital job, uh, which are great in a lot of ways that you see you get exposed to a lot of interesting people and new ideas and cool stuff going on day to day and you you get paid well um you, you have a pretty easy life relative to an entrepreneur so it was just a good moment to have a dog in my life i saw this great day and i was like that's him right there so for people who don't know, you became an EIR because you had recently left Meetup, right? Right. Wasn't that was that the company that was acquired by WeWork? Recently? It was. So tell yep. us about you know just, we have to talk about that <laughs> before, we get, before we get to Barkbox. Where did you come up with the idea and tell us about the the you know how that grew and scaled to now it's one of the best you know most prominent ways in which communities come together and people meet new other you know other people and you I think you met the founder of TaskRabbit through um, or she's a member of Meetup. Right? Uh, she may be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know her very well, but or Leia. Uh, yeah, Leia. I know who she yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. I, I, but that's awesome. Yeah, yeah but she's a, <laughs> she's a customer, right, of Barkbox. I think it was mentioned in an interview, which was amazing. Oh. How many different executives are? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. You know, you know, you see all these big CEOs, and you think that you know you put them on a pedestal, but then you realize at the end of the day, they're just individuals like us who have pets and dogs and families, and you know, yeah, um, it's inspiring for high schoolers and college students like us to kind of see that side of the personality of CEOs. No. Yeah, there are a lot of great products and I'm I'm always like I mean, I just feel like flattered or lucky whenever somebody uses any of our products, anything that we create. Um it's cool to see a meetup in the wild. It's cool to see like somebody subscribing to Barkbox or you know, just saying like I've been a customer for years is just it's still mind-blowing. It's like, wow, it worked. Yeah. Um so to get back to it though, meetup was uh, at that moment, I had just come off of that that failure and wasn't really searching for anything. The thing that happened was 9-11 happened in New York. And you walk around the streets and, and the tone had changed. People were talking to each other and looking at each other and saying, how are you? And it wasn't a passing comment. It was a real question. So you'd, you'd respond. You'd say, I'm great. How are you? And uh, people got closer and started to trust their neighbors and started to really connect. And so we had this thought of, can we take that feeling and bring it to life everywhere? It was also at a time where uh, people felt like you couldn't meet someone that you met online, out in the real world. It was dangerous. Like That's online dating was it's thought of as yeah. <laughs> really dangerous. Um, Times have changed. <laughs> yeah, and there were Dateline NBC pieces about how if you meet someone online, they'll kill you or take your kids yeah it was back in the era when your parents told you not to get into strangers cars and now that's a 70 billion dollar <laughs> yeah. public company but yeah so of course the natural thought is let's create a company that is all about stranger meetups absolutely yeah that was the that was the thing was like we're not 
we're not dangerous. Um, so let's create a construct that makes it feel safe and normal. And it was a struggle. It was really difficult for the first couple of years. The thing that really tipped it was um, the Howard Dean for president campaign and a presidential campaign going around and saying to people, go to your local Howard Dean meetup and it exploding him becoming a leading candidate. All the other candidates followed him. So now um, it'd be like right now, uh, similar to 2020, if every time a candidate was speaking, they were saying, go to your local Joe Biden meetup, go to your local Elizabeth Warren meetup. That takes something that's scary and unsafe to really, really established and safe really quickly. So that was a, a pretty important moment. Why'd you leave the company? Uh, funny enough, because it got two reasons. It got too big for me and too big is 45 people. So <laughs> uh, that was one side of it. I was feeling like this is crazy how big this thing is. Um, as we sit in a company that has 600 people. Wow. Um, wow. The, the second reason was... You're not leaving BarkBox anytime soon, are you? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, the second reason being, I, I felt like we had done all we came to do. We were about 10 million active members every month. Uh, it was, The revenue grew pretty um, organically month to month. The company was profitable. It was just on a good trajectory. It was like we worked on this system for about seven, eight years and we got all the gears right. We had tuned it just perfectly, almost to the, having the feeling of like, just step away from it and don't touch it. It'll be okay. Um, so it felt like a really good moment to just step away. Yeah. And you built a really strong community out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a It's a super cool product. I wish it were obviously much, much bigger than it is. Um, yeah. It's, it's plenty big, but um, it's got so much more potential. It's interesting because you also, in a way, like, this is what Bark is all about is the community, but for dogs and dog owners. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more how, how Bark came to be. So Bark came to be, as you mentioned, uh, shortly after meetup, I followed up as a, an EIR for Polaris Ventures, and my job was running Dogpatch Labs, which was an incubator here mm -hmm. in New York. No pun intended. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Uh, little did I know how much dogs would be part of my life. Um, and Hugo came into my life. We, I just couldn't find things to make him happy in New York, and it was frustrating. And at the same time in my job, I was seeing a lot of commerce businesses and I didn't understand how they worked, which was frustrating. I was like, I get the words you're saying, but I don't get it. Hmm. Uh, so I wanted to, I put those two things together and said, let me just start a little commerce business that makes my dog happy and I'll learn how this thing works and I'll, I'll be more intelligent in my job. And it just took off. Um, wow. And I, I like I said, I, I'm glad it did, but that wasn't what I was hoping for. I thought 100 customers will be fine. And, Hugo would be happy. So to give people a sense of the scale, you have so some of these numbers I'm sure are out to date. Maybe you can update them. You've sold more than 50 million products in 10 million boxes. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you can probably double those. Wow. wow. So, yeah. Oh, definitely over 100 million products. At You've this point. raised. Wow, that's incredible. You raised over 77 million dollars in funding and have done over 100 million in revenue. That was back in 2016. Yeah. Um, so so this year is a 
is close to a quarter billion of revenue. Oh my god! Oh my god! This is the scale of this is basically. You know, <laughs> I guess when people think of like a CPG, well, somewhat CPG, and then yeah. also uh, consumer product goods, people don't envision it as being billion dollar companies. But I guess that you've kind of redefined that whole uh, perception. Yeah, it, it's there's something about the pet industry that. Um, it's sort of overlooked. I think it's got a lot of similarities to the gaming industry in that way where you look at, but the pet industry, um, it's over 60% of us households. It's half of households around the world have a, have a dog. So it's enormous and it just sort of gets overlooked. Um, can you talk about some of your celebrity investors? celebrity investors well so for example <laughs> um even in the vc industry people that you respect and uh and yeah for, the, for me those are you know uh, <laughs> uh we actually do have uh celebrity investors or at least one that i know of um we have a great investor base uh we have some our, our lead investors are august capital um and trip jones is on our board from there i interviewed our, david hornick oh yeah yeah uh, everyone at August is really great and, and very aware of what we're doing. Um, RRE and Stuart Elman, who's the E in the RRE. Uh, Stu's been a big fan. He's a huge dog lover um, since the early days. Mike Hirschland of Resolute, which is a seed fund based out of Boston, um, is a big supporter. And then many, many seed investors like Gary Vaynerchuk is, was very early with us. Um, Andrew Chen, who's now at um, Andreessen Horowitz, is a, a small scene investor, um, a very a very odd investor, actually from Philadelphia. Uh, odd in that, like you wouldn't expect it. I'm not, not trying to say anything about him, but <laughs> M Night Shyamalan is a recent investor in the company. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. How did how did you get intro to him? Uh, through RRE. Yeah, and is he's a presumably a big dog lover? I'm assuming a customer. I don't really know. <laughs> yeah. I watched uh, him do a cameo in Entourage uh, recently. Yeah. So that's one of my favorite shows, along with you know Billions and Quantico and Homeland. What are some of yours? I love Billions. It's a great show. Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm is a is a good one for me. Uh, Homeland, have you watched? Yeah, I, I like the first season or two, and next, then, then it kind of slipped for me. Really? Yeah. Well, the next season uh, comes out tomorrow. Oh, or, it does? No, two days from now. Okay. Um, which is exciting. Any favorite movies of yours? Favorite movies? I have so many favorite movies. Uh, oh, boy. I don't I don't know where to go with that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll, we'll leave the movies. What are your favorite dogs in either movies and books and real life well, of course hugo number one hugo's number one uh, oh man i i love them all i really love them all um it's it's sort of there are two categories of dogs for me there's well no, no there's got to be three right okay we're three. here for it there are three so there's there's hugo who sits above all others he's the inspiration the motivation uh, he's the one who gives me product ideas and uh the second group is like the office dogs yeah and some are great some are very annoying um <laughs> but you kind of have to deal with that let's hope they don't listen to this one <laughs> <laughs> that's okay if they do they're they've been told yeah um and then I'd say the third group is the, uh, there's a joke that was told at one of our 
someone on our team had a wedding and he was being roasted at his own wedding and someone said you know mike has this great job where he gets to serve the rich dogs of the world <laughs> and that's great we serve our customers that's actually quite funny <laughs> yeah and i love serving our customers and all but then i think there's the real opportunity of all the dogs that aren't the rich dogs that don't have it as as good um they're in shelters they're in rescues yeah um and i love that group and thinking about like what can we do for that group of dogs too that's awesome. What are some of the things, I guess, that you've been working on with Bark to help that group? We've done a lot um, over the years, and it's I, I think it's unrecognized because we don't go blow our horn about that a lot. We're very quiet and behind the scenes, and we're we're a bit scattered, um, and that's that's intentional. So I think a company that does a really good job of getting the word out about what they do and is sort of single issue is like blue Buffalo are all about curing cancer for dogs or helping dogs with cancer. I didn't know that. That's really cool. Yeah. And they do a great job and um, we sort of show up everywhere. So we do things like when a hurricane blows through Puerto Rico or Miami or Houston, um, the first money they have in their hands pretty much same day is from us about, and it's identifying the right rescue groups, shining a light on them, making an Instagram post and say, donate to these groups today, and then writing a check to them. Um, we send groups to Puerto Rico to help with the Sato project. Um, a few times a year, we'll send 10 to 20 people down and do hundreds of spay and neuters with them over the course of a week. Uh, it's that type yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Well, Matt, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Unfortunately, this is all the time we have for today, but we really appreciate you telling your story and you know what you've done. It's quite an inspiration to all of us here at Dorman Fund. Cool. Thank you for having me. It's fun. Thank you so much.